folks. Oh, good golly. Thank God you're here. It's urgent. We have to talk to you about what you ask. That's right. The Edmonton Oilers. Because you're listening to the Oilers Rig Radio Network on uh, the Oilers Rig Radio Network. Uh, I, this is our podcast. My name is Steven. I'm on the podcast. Megan, you're also on the podcast. Introduce yourself to the people. Uh, my name is Megan. Uh, I teach high school. And um, I work with a guy who, since I started at the school that I'm at, this is my eighth year there. One of the very first lunch conversations we had uh, was about how with the Oilers, nothing has changed. And he said that the other day. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. Megan knows a guy. Uh, Avery, you know any guys? I know many guys, all shapes, all creeds, all colors. I'm also a black guy on the Oilers Rig podcast. So, yes, I'm the token one. All creeds. That's right. Avery knows Zoroastrians. Uh, respect. They're still out there. That is not, uh, they're out there. Freddie Murky, Zoroastrian. Anyways, neither here nor there. The important thing is we're here to talk about the Oilers and uh, hockey in general, I suppose. And there's not too, it's, it's, it's not too complicated to figure out what we're going to get into today. We're going to get into uh, what's going wrong. The Oilers have one of the worst records. I mean, I guess uh, a nice way to put it would be we're second in the league for least wins. That's something. Um, only the Sharks have fewer wins than us with zero, and they're generationally bad. Um, so here's the three questions that I think we're going to go around the horn with. It's going to be pretty straightforward. What's wrong? What can we do about it? And what's the bright spot? So, uh, Megan, I'll ask you, we'll, we'll start. Reflections on the Oilers, who are 1-5-1 and one through seven games so far. A minus 13 goal differential. Um, they are nine spots away from the wild card berth. Uh, if you want, you can say it's early because they're only seven games in. And actually, I think that's perfectly reasonable. But uh, without a doubt, it's been a fairly catastrophic first seven games. Uh, reflections and what is wrong? What's the problem here, Megan? Ooh, um, that's a, actually, that's a good question. And I don't know that there's like a super easy answer. Like we addressed this the last time and we talked a little bit about how, um, well, I talked a little bit about how the Oilers are, have been and are like an injury away from absolute calamity. Um, but what's interesting is the calamity started before Parnock David got hurt, uh, this time, um, Goaltending is obviously a question mark, right? And that was the thing that we talked about last time is that unless you are certain that you're going to get the same caliber of goaltending out of Stuart Skinner that you were going to get, um, they got last year. There's no guarantee that anything of uh, anything really. Um, but the bits that I've watched, I haven't watched a ton. I've been super busy um, this month. Like I'm hardly home and whatever. So when I do get a chance to watch some hockey, uh, what I've noticed is that things are really, really sloppy. Like it looks like sometimes they forget how to play hockey or the chemistry is not just there. I don't know what it is, but there's something like when you're watching it, you know, uh, McDavid, when he's not been hurt, has still been doing like flashy things like he does and all this kind of stuff. But there just seems to be an element to the game that to me looks very like unpolished. And, you know, then it's causing mistakes. Like uh, what, I can't remember what which game it was last week where Nuge like, I don't know, just like did like that weird backhand pass that like behind himself that he just didn't need to do. Like just little things like that, that I don't, you wouldn't expect out of a team with the kind of experience that they have. Um, Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And I think that's something that a lot of people have pointed out. Um, 
no one is looking great right now, not even the stars, and included in that is the coaching. I've heard quite a few people criticize the coach. It's been no secret that they're trying a new defensive scheme, um, and yeah, that they don't seem... They're certainly not in sync right now. Another stat I'm going to uh, throw out. Um, obviously, there's there's fancy stats, there's analytics if you want to get deep into it. But I think the best way to, at a glance, um, sort luck out from things is just look at the goal differential. Because I don't know if this is still true, but a few years ago I looked it up and goal differential did a better job of predicting your future record than your past record did. Um, in other words, if you want to see who's going to win the next 10 games, look at goal differential more than who won and lost the last 10 games or 20 games, whatever it is. And the Oilers are second last in goal differential. They're minus 13, just ahead of the, just behind the Flames and way ahead of the Sharks, who, like I said, are going to be a generationally bad team. Like, arguably, the, will be the worst team of the century. Um, so, yeah, your point about, uh, I don't know if you... Would you call it specifically coaching, or are you putting this on the players? Because just saying they look sloppy and out of sync, um, that's shit, that's perfectly reasonable. They do. Um, I don't know if it's both. I, I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? I think that, like, I'm, I'm hmm. the coaching question is an interesting one to me because I always wonder how much coaching uh, in hockey professionals at this level actually need. Like, I understand, like, in football and stuff, you're actually drawing up plays and, like, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and in basketball, you know, you're going to set up like special situations if you're inbounding the ball at like a certain, you know, number of timeouts left and this and this and this. Hockey is such a different sport where like you can draw up some kind of a set play off a face off. But beyond that, like there's really no set plays. Like it's not the same kind of thing. And so I always wonder how much coaching actually impacts the players because like how much coaching do they actually need? But I do think in this particular instance, I do think some of the blame has to be placed on Woodcroft and his staff because like, Clearly something's not working and whatever it is that they are doing to try and mitigate that isn't working either. Uh, yeah, totally fair. Sometimes the easy answers are easy because or obvious because they are true. Um, not, nothing's coming together. Well, uh, Avery, what do you see as the big problem? Uh, really there's the collection of issues, but I will point out one of them has been, at times, this team struggles to give the goaltender some run support. Great example was this team against the Rangers in which New York, it should have been a winnable game. They should have found a way to beat the Rangers. I mean, this team put in Jonathan Quick. The Rangers put Jonathan Quick in, and he had a 25-safe shutout. They were getting enough high-quality chances towards Quick. I think half or through the second period, that game was, what, 2 nothing, and Edmonton had 10 shots on Quick. Stuart Skinner kept Empton in that game, or else it might have been five or six nothing. Helping your goaltender is going to be a major thing, and we know this team can do it, but we haven't seen them do it enough and consistently. That would be a major thing when playing against better teams in the Western Conference going forward. Uh, that's a great point. I'll be honest; I did not realize how bad that uh, that one is. Uh, we're fourth from the bottom in uh, goals scored so far, and obviously, when you're this few games into the season, uh, the gameplay differences make a larger difference than they will when we're comparing. There's a big di bigger difference between one team's played seven games and the other place team's played nine games than 61 versus 63, for example. But the Oilers have scored a paltry 17 goals in seven games so far this year, and that just puts them ahead of uh, the Caps, the Blues, and you guessed it, the Sharks. We're tied with uh, the, the Flames and the Stars, who are not quite as... 
good as I thought they would be, but they're they're still doing well. Um, but anyway, yeah, we are just not scoring. The Stars have only scored 17 goals, but they've only allowed 15. The Oilers have only scored 17 goals, but have allowed 30. So yeah, absolutely, Avery. Uh, we, we just aren't scoring very much either. What do you see as the primary reason why not? The primary reason, ooh, that's a that's a great question. Like, it's tough because, I mean, outside of, outside of McDavid's um, injury, there aren't really guys who are hurt. The main guys are here at healthy among Dreisaitl, Kane, uh, Newton Hopkins, Hyman. It's just the lack of finishes, lack of quality chances, lack of fishing on rebounds. And you would think something would go their way, but the bounces have not, um, but the bounces from last year have not gone their way. And also the power play, too, as well. You've seen a power play struggle. And one, and one more thing I'll add on top of the power play this team has, is having a hard time finishing two on ones and three on ones. That was a big thing I've seen over the past few games, like against the Rangers. I saw a few chances in which, great example, Matthias Janmark was on two and one, and he whiffed on a chance in front of Quick when Quick was going down. Like finishing chances is something that we saw a lot of last year, and for whatever reason this year they're not doing it. It's just it's baffling. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. The power play, which was obviously a big part of their offense last year, is not leading the league last year. Said an all-time record but it's still a very strong 25.9 percent so the power play has been good their problems are at even strength scoring um no doubt i i guess it's my turn then uh to answer the question and i said earlier i think sometimes the obvious uh answer is the right one it's the goaltending everything that you're both saying is true they are not doing um basically nothing is going well which i think will be my slightly more interesting sub point but uh, the problem, you're, it doesn't matter how well everything else was going, they'd still be losing with this goaltending. Each goalie's played four games. Uh, Jack Campbell has an 8.78 save percentage. Stuart Skinner has a .846. Um, those are both abysmal. Those are like you would send your backup goalie to the farm if your backup goalie had that, unless he was incredibly charming. Um, he would really have to be one heck of a locker room guy to stick around. And both those guys are supposed to be uh, 1B goalies, at least. Stuart Skinner, or sorry, I'd say Jack Campbell's getting paid like he's a 1A. Um, so, yeah, that goaltending will sink any team. That's that's the problem. And I agree the defense hasn't been great. Um, but I don't think it's been – I haven't seen any stat. – I've seen some stats that show, actually, they're doing a good job of preventing high-danger scoring uh, chances. I've also seen – some stats that challenge that, but I think that the thing that we can say is you still, there's no matter how bad you think the defense has been, there's plenty of room left to put the blame on the goaltending. At some point, you just need to save. Like I saw a different stat that uh, Jacob Wall out of Toronto has faced 20 high danger scoring chances, and he has stopped all 20 shots. They're getting paid millions of dollars. Sometimes we need to save. The other thing that I'll say, just for the sake of not just blaming the goalie because people don't like that, is uh, nothing is going well. Um, nothing. Like, even other than maybe, I guess, Dreisaitl and McDavid are scoring, but they're getting most of their scoring on the power play. They're not letting up at evens. Like, they are both on pace for 100-point uh, seasons. Um, but other than those two guys, like, Bouchard and Hyman are both putting up points. Like Bouchard's got eight points in seven games, and Hyman's a point a game player. But neither of those guys are having, I would still say, great seasons. Like Bouchard's doing it on the power play, but he's been dropped down to the third pair uh, at evens because he's he has clearly struggled. 
Um, Evander Kane is just not playing well. Uh, Darnell Nurse is maybe my more creative pick for the single biggest problem that we've got because he hasn't been awful. But when you're getting played, when you're one of, I think, the five or six most highest paid uh, defensemen in the league, you at least need to be a solid number one guy, even if you're slightly overpaid. And I don't think he's been an especially strong second pairing guy. He's been out there, you know? I don't think he's been the problem, but when you're eating up that percentage of the cap, you need to be better than he's been. Like, at his best, I still think he's overpaid, but at his best, he's certainly an $8 million defenseman. He's jumping into plays. He's finishing uh, chances. He jumps into the rush great. He scores at evens really well, um, but and he's at least very tough. Um, if he's not, I wouldn't call him an elite defender, but he's at least an extremely physical defender, a great athlete who can eat a lot of uh, minutes uh, competently, and I don't think he's doing anything especially well. Ekholm still doesn't look 100%. Uh, you could argue CeCe's bounced back, but he hasn't been good enough to stabilize the second pair. Um, none of the kids are, even the ones that are looking okay, like I think Broberg's looked all right at times. None of them have looked so good that you're like, oh, hip hooray. That Connor Brown bet is not uh, hitting especially well. Um Yanmark uh, has been getting some interesting opportunities in the top six and nothing good is coming of those. Like everything is either going bad or fine. There hasn't been a lot of, I would actually argue there've been zero pleasant surprises so far. It's all been uh, negative surprises or neutral surprises. Like even dry and McDavid getting their points at this point. I don't think you could call that a pleasant surprise and uh, no team is going to win without getting some good dice rolls. You uh, you can't have it come. Everything is coming up snake eyes so far. Uh, that's my that's my two cents. Let's uh, go back around and say, okay, well, uh, Megan, what do we do about it? You said that the problem is that they they look sloppy out there. What's your solution if you're the GM? Well, if I'm the GM, I don't think I'm going to have a solution because look at the decisions I've made to get to this point. Um, all right, let's say we uh, hire Holland and the cowards finally hire you. Oh, what? if they hire me, well, then I'm going to clean house and hire my friends. Because um, <laughs> that's what hockey men do, you know? Um, that's yeah, let's see. That's exactly how it's going to go. Um, I think, well, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. Like, I think the goaltending is an issue, right? Like, you, there's got to be something there. Um, you can't be paying these guys to be like your 1A, 1B tandem and they're playing like they're your third stringers like you just can't uh everybody needs a goaltender but you got to be able to rely on the two guys that you've got so maybe they're i don't know i don't know what's how you address that um but i also think i just <clears throat> i've been paying a little bit of attention i remember you hated the contract when it got signed maybe the connor brown experiment should be over because it doesn't have to play 10 games for his bonus to trigger um so he maybe sure does yeah, so maybe he's played eight games, so maybe or seven or whatever. So maybe we should just move on from Connor Brown uh, and figure out a solution there instead, because that might be the easiest way um, to do so. I don't know. I think they're they're stuck in cap hell. Uh, there's not really much that can be done without making some actual like moves. And so if that's the case, then I kind of think that you gotta stay the course with the players that you got, and then that maybe does become a coaching sort of lineup line combination defense pairing, you know, shake up to see what can happen and what you can sort of do. Um, yeah. What you can sort of do of this. I would like to say 
Uh, I was just thinking about this, and I know if I were to look it up, I would be correct. Uh, in 2017, on my other podcast with my friend Kelsey, uh, beginning of November, the Oilers were below 500, and I said that they would not make the playoffs, and I was right. Or 2018, sorry. Um, and I was correct. Uh, and right. I'm just going on record right now that on, on October 29th, the Oilers are well below 500, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Well, if you're relentlessly negative every year, you will occasionally be proven to be correct. I don't think this is relentless negativity. I think this is just looking at the writing on the wall. Well, I mean, certainly uh, there's been, I can't, I don't have any of it uh, on hand, but uh, I will say the first 10 games are way more indicative than it feels like they'll be as a fan. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, there's really a lot less movement from 10 games on than you would probably guess like, yes, it's still early, but basically these, the, the, the issue is these 10 games didn't fall out of the sky. Um, the teams start to show who they are much more quickly uh, than you'd think. And while there certainly can be movement, um, if you look historically teams that start with a bad first 10 games usually are not that good for the next 72. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's still plenty of room for optimism if you are uh, in the Edmonton or uh, Buffalo situation. There's another team who is really uh, not doing as well as they were going to hope that that they were doing. Um, Lots of time to pull it together, uh, but it's just odds are they won't. There is an exception, and you can say, nope, our team's going to be the exception. I actually think you always have good reason to think that they will be. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong that if you want to just make the safe bet, the safe bet is the teams that are far out of it now are not going to make it. Um, I'm just going to quickly comment on the Connor Brown thing. Cause I think that is such an interesting issue and no one has pointed to that as the reason why they, uh, aren't doing as well as they hoped, but it's clearly one of the many reasons and they are approaching a very interesting decision point. And like you said, if he plays 10 games, that's $3.25 million off next year's cap. And right now he is at uh, seven games with zero points and zero assists. However, I, I feel the need to say I think there's at least a pretty good argument for not cutting him. As much as there's a great argument for saying, listen, we got to waive this guy. Here's the problem. And this is not a defense of Brown so much as it is a condemnation of the contract Holland signed him to. I don't know if they can afford to cut him because – that is a huge chunk of next year's cap uh, taken up by keeping Brown. However, Brown's underlying numbers have been pretty strong. And the Oilers look like they could still use one more good top nine forward. And so if he's been a solid third liner, I don't know that they can afford to waive him because they probably already need one more guy uh, like him or better. I don't know if they can afford this year to make him disappear in the interest of saving 3.25 from next year. Like he, he's been exactly what I said would be the worst case scenario. Too good to cut, not good enough to feel good about how much money you're giving him. So I think there, there are two options. Certainly they could send him down to the farm. No one's going to take that deal on waivers because nobody's going to want to give up 3.25 next year's cap uh, to a guy with no points through 10 games, assuming he doesn't look fantastic the next two. Um, and then you could hope he puts it together in the minors to such a degree that you feel good about, all right, he's, he's worth the risk. We'll let him work it out in the minors. And if he doesn't work it out, so be it. But if he does, we can call him up and feel good. So that's the one option. 
Or you just keep him and say, listen, this is our cup or bust year. Screw it. We believe in him. He's looked good. He just hasn't been scoring. Um, and I don't think either of them are especially palatable. Uh, it it's just goes to show it's a bad deal. And I want to be fair to Connor Brown. I think he has been too good, dude. For at least for this team to cut. I don't know. They're in the exact uh, worst place that they want to that they didn't want to be in the perfect gray zone of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Avery comments on Brown and what would you do to fix the problem? You said the problems run support, and uh, you're objectively correct. That has certainly been one of their two biggest problems. The two biggest problems basically are offense and defense, um, or I'll say it, uh, <laughs> scoring goals and allowing goals. They don't score enough, they allow too many. So you said the biggest problem is they don't score enough. What would you do to fix it and mix in some comments on Connor Brown while you're there? Honestly, you know, I'm still going to give Connor Brown some grace. This is a guy who's still recovering from a major knee injury, getting his way back into NHL action. I do think Connor Brown will turn things around as a former 20-goal scorer. But in terms of how to fix it immediately, I, uh, I'm i not sure if Connor Brown's going to run out of the answer. I would love to see a little bit more of Dylan Holloway because when Dylan Holloway plays with skill, We've seen him get to the net. We've seen him be aggressive. He is someone who I want to see get jump started by playing, maybe in the uh, top six minutes. I think he's a guy, if you give him some more skilled players to play with, he can generate some chance and make something happen. I've liked his game for a very long time. So I think the, re- the answer is more getting the Dylan Hallway activated to get this offense going um, going forward here, I think, really. I'm, I'm going to push back a tiny little bit uh, and say when, when we – Drafted Holloway, and he had that incredible uh, draft plus one season. I started to call him the poor man's Taylor Hall. Um, I might have to downgrade him to the the homeless, destitute man. I don't even think – no, I, I think I over overcalled that one. He's uh, more like a normal man's Warren Fogle, like just another guy who can skate well, like he does things well, but I don't know that he's going to be – I'm fine with saying, oh, yeah, they've drafted a future NHLer, so that's not bad. But I don't know that he's going to be a top six solution. Um, I'm just not seeing a lot of offensive instincts there. Uh, you, I think, do make one interesting point on Connor Brown, though. He's coming off of a significant leg injury, and his legs have not looked like the problem. Um, he's still getting around out there. Uh, I think his reactions have looked slow like basically it looks like he's knocking off the rust after taking a year off um so i'm sorry that we're paying him 3.25 million dollars but i think he may remains an nhl forward and uh i think it's likely that he comes around to being someone that you're happy with in your top nine even if you're sad you're paying him 3.25 um i don't know what do you see about holloway that you that you like so much i guess Sorry, is that to me or Avery? Sorry, yeah, directed to Avery. Avery, what do you like about Holloway? I, I see a lack of uh, offensive flourish. What do you see that makes you think he can help the top six? I don't know. I, I've seen when he, when he was promoted last year, when he was playing with more skilled guys, you saw him get his shots up. You saw him get to net a little bit more. I, I, don't, I don't think he's the kind of player you can put with bottom six forwards and get the most out of him to help carry a line. I just feel like offensive guys – Give him the puck in areas where you can get to net. I and mean, we saw it last year in the preseason, before, of course, preseason is a whole different beast. But seeing him last year when he was called upon to step up a little bit more, like against the Rangers last season, he was able to get into high danger areas. I want to see a little bit more from that from him 
if Woodcroft does um, promote him. But I don't know. But I know Jay is putting him on the fourth line. I know. I think. I. I personally think right now, the coaching staff is too looking too much more at the fact that yes, he hasn't scored yet, which is why he's on the fourth line and the third line. Then looking more at how he can generate chances against the net, which I think is still impactful. I mean, do you want do we want one to score? Absolutely. But I think Holloway with skill can still generate chances that can lead to his first goal leader, I think. Which I, I'll, I do. I'll definitely give you this. The Oilers, I think, have had a lot of success over the last, especially last season, um, and the season before as well, by Mac mixing two good offensive players with uh, someone who is not a good offensive player, but is useful in all three zones. Like he'll play defense for the line and then he'll grind in the corners and get the good guys to puck. Like for example, combining uh, Kane McDavid and Puliyarvi. Puliyarvi obviously is not an especially strong finisher, but he did the things well that Vander Kane did poorly. They balanced each other off. I thought that worked not bad or mixing a, Fogel with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Fogel, again, not a great finisher, despite having a pretty hard shot, but not an especially good finisher. But he does the things that McDavid and Dreisaitl need someone out there to do. So if you got uh, two offensive players and then another guy who does some things well, that can be a, a meaningful uh, trio. And I think Holloway could be part of that trio. Like if he was, hypothetically, if they were to swap him with Kane and play him with uh, Hopkins and uh, Hyman, he might have something there. Although. I understand why they're trying to put uh, Kane in the position to succeed, just hoping that he turns it around, giving him a top six spot. Um, I guess that makes it my turn. And once again, I have an extremely unsatisfying answer. But if my one, my number one problem was goaltending and my number two problem is just, yeah, nothing is going well yet. I hate to say it, but I think the thing that they have to do is just kind of wait. Um, I don't see there being a move. I Basically, I don't think you can fix the goaltending. I think you are absolutely stuck with Jack Campbell. I don't think anyone, even a bottom-feeding team, is going to take that contract because there's so many more years left on it. Unless maybe you were taking one of their terrible contracts back. But even then, because goaltending is such a worse bad contract than any other position, uh, I don't... I don't know that you're going to be able to move Jack Campbell. I just don't think at this time that you're going to be able to move Jack Campbell. I think we're going to buy him out next summer. Um, maybe you could trade Stuart Skinner. Um, but even then, I, I don't think you're going to be able to make that deal yet. I don't think any team with a good goalie is pulling the shoot yet. We're going to have to wait a few months until a goalie becomes available. So I think the thing to do is not, it's not even the wise thing to do. It's more like this is the only available option is you have to hope that some combination of Evander Kane, um, Evan Bouchard, Darnell Nurse, and Matthias Ekholm starts playing better. Because to my mind, uh, you need – probably you need all four of those guys, but you need at least two of them to be playing well. And I don't think any of them – you could argue that at least the three defensemen are playing some version of fine. They're all doing something or at least not doing anything horrible. But none of them are playing well. Um, not so good that you're like, hey, there's a bright spot. You need two of those guys to become bright spots. And Evander Kane is probably the worst bet. He's not that old, but he does play a very uh, a tough game that will put uh, put hard miles on you. But he's still young enough. He's in his early 30s. You could hope that he gets back to being like a good top six uh, forward, which he certainly has been uh, the last two years, or at least elements of last year and was when he, we first got him. Um, Ekholm was played the best uh, hockey of his career last year, but obviously had a, 
Um, not insignificant injury during the summer, uh, during training, it sounds like. Um, and then Nurse and Bouchard are perfectly healthy. They just haven't been great yet. Uh, so hopefully they just become better. And if some combination of those things happen, you still have a very good roster. Like this roster is good. Even the third line, which can't score, of Holloway, McLeod, Brown, that's a perfectly serviceable third line. Those are three guys who could all jump into your top six if needed to. Um, I, don't, I don't know. They're not. They're really not terrible. The problem is mostly goaltending and bad breaks. By almost every uh, stat that I see that doesn't involve goaltending, they're getting goalied. Like they're getting lots of uh, chances and shots. They're just not finishing them. And so over ten games, there's some bad luck mixed into that. As your luck evens out, they're like they've been a middling team. They haven't been an awful team overall. They've been a middling team overall with horrible goaltending, and that's still a disappointment. But you can hope that that at least one of those two things balances out and they come back to being a playoff team. I think the dream of them winning the president's trophy is probably gone, but I expect those still make the playoffs. It's just a matter of kind of waiting. Um, I don't know if any of you want to yell at me over that, please uh, begin now. Otherwise I will say, here's our final Oilers question. This time I'll start with Avery. What's the bright spot, Avery? What's the one thing that you could say? Well, at least we got this going on. What's the bright spot? Ooh, yep. that's a that's a good question. What is the? That was spot? a very sarcastic re-question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, it's not easy to really find a bright spot when you're when you're one five one. I I guess the fact bright spot this team isn't boring. Like, not that's you count as a bright spot because there are teams who who are still five hundred, but they're not very interesting. At least the old. At least this seems interesting. At least there, there's some intrigue in their season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, nothing gets nothing gets oil his Twitter fired up quite like losing games. Um, interesting pull for the bright spot. But uh, when you're right, you're right. Um, Megan, what do you like for the bright spot? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's kind of the same thing. Um, there is something to be said about, I'm just like going back through some old stuff that I used to, when I would do like pregames and stuff, but I sent you guys a screenshot. Of it was just like, it was more fun when they were just like historically bad all the time. Uh, and so this is like bringing back some of that, right? Like where people get all like fired up and stuff. But I do think like, I think the bright spot, I guess, I mean, is that it's only eight games, I think is maybe the. The thing to think about, it's only eight games, but it is 10% of, uh, it is 10% of what you played, right? And so, like, it's kind of tough to be like, okay, it's only eight games, there's still lots of time. There is lots of time, I suppose. If we look at uh, Mika McCurdy's, like, points productions for playoffs, he's saying 92 points um, will be the, will be sort of the cutoff-ish in the West, which the Oilers could potentially do that i think but if they have like this next 10 or the next eight games the next 10 percent of this season if they don't come out of the next 10 percent of this season like right around 500 i think it'll be really tough for them to hit that 94 or that 92 point spot um so i think the bright spot is that this is early but it's the that in itself i think that spot is dimming just a little bit based on kind of what happens over the next week in a bit I'll piggyback your bright spot a little bit by saying the Oilers were not just forecasted to be a playoff team. They were forecasted to be, by most uh, commentators that I saw, one of the top two teams in the league. So 
going on an incredible 20 game run to make up for this should be well within their capabilities. And I, I think it is well within their capabilities. Um, so I actually still do think that they'll make the playoffs. Um, but I'm going to give you a different uh, bright spot. Uh, and maybe it's a bit of a reach, but Raphael Lavoie. Um, for those of you kids at home, you probably remember he was their second uh, round draft, a high second round draft pick from 2019. So he's 23. This is the year where, okay, if your guy, if you're, if your draft pick doesn't arrive by the time that he's 23, you can kind of stop thinking about him as a prospect. Um, he's done. And sure enough, he had a good camp, but not a good enough camp to make the team. So he got sent down. Um, so I think a lot of us were being like, well, okay, that guy, he, he doesn't have it, especially since he passed through waivers. And if the Montreal Canadiens don't pick up a promising young French forward, then you can probably say, all right, he doesn't have it. Well, he went down to the AHL, and he didn't just look like a good AHL forward. He's doing exactly what you hoped that he would do. He's put up four goals in five games, seven points in five games. And last night, he had a Gordie Howe hat trick, two goals and assist, and a fight. He's doing everything you could realistically hope for. And I would even say he's scoring at a, an almost unreasonable rate. Like, that is a fantastic rate of scoring for the AHL. He's uh, doing what you wanted. Uh, from that prospect, from someone who says, maybe I can come up and help you uh, add some scoring on the wings. Maybe I can come up and be what Connor Brown uh, isn't being right now, which is a top six scoring option. Because the thing about Lavoie is he's big and he's fast. And anytime a good player looks good in the AHL, but can't seem to translate it to the NHL, the number or the top two reasons are always he's too slow or he's too small. Because you can be really good in the AHL, but not be able to translate it into a higher league and those are usually the two reasons and those are not the problems uh neither of those things are problems for Lavoie so if he's lighting it up in the AHL to a degree that even there it's an even smaller sample size it's just five games but still he's doing everything that you could say you hope for him to do um so there that's my bright spot we maybe have a winger there after all I was pretty ready to be like well I guess he doesn't have it if he couldn't clearly win a spot then uh, and couldn't even get claimed on waivers, then he just doesn't have it. Maybe he does. Um, so that's that's my bright spot. Uh, Avery, you usually have responses to uh, to prospects. What do you think of that? No, he's a, he's a bright spot. Raphael Lavoie, he's someone who has shown he can – he's ready to make that jump. You've seen him play well so far in Bakersfield. And I really feel that he is going to put himself in a good spot to really be that first call-up to the big club. I know many people want him to make the roster. So did I, but I don't think he'll be playing Bakerfield much longer. If he gets this play up season. Yeah, no, I, I have to say, I totally agree. I think that he, he did a nice job of uh, forcing their hand, especially with, you can say it's stupid if you want. Um, but uh, teams tend to notice things like, wow, that guy is um, getting that skilled players getting into fights, not because it matters that they get into fights, but that's just a way that you can show management. Hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Um, so yeah, there you go there. I'm just looking at the HL scoring list uh, right now. And um, he's not right near the top, but then mostly that's because he's only played five games. Um, and there's quite a few good scores in the HL this year. So good for them. Or I can sort it by point per game. Let's see if he shows up there. 
Nope, because there's a couple guys have only played two games and uh, have lit those up. But anyway, he's doing good. The important thing you need to know is he's doing very well. Sam Gagne is doing great. Five I was just going to say, there's there's a solution to... Uh, and I, I mean, Sam Gagne is going to be your fourth-line center. He's not going to... He's not going to move the needle a whole bunch, but I think that if you want somebody who's like, and this is one of those dumb things. I don't necessarily believe that this is something that you need, but I do think that sometimes you just need to have like some veteran experience and you have to have somebody who has been around a bit. Uh, you know, like Sam Gagne was here through some terrible, terrible hockey, right? Like he played here through some bad, bad, bad seasons and has made a career out of, you know, just like working hard and working through some injuries and stuff. And I think that like, and it comes time to that kind of thing. I think that you could probably make the argument that like someone like a Sam Gagne who can still play a bit, right. He's, I don't think he's going to be too far behind. Maybe that's the kind of guy you need in your room. Uh, and well, I'm think- not a big, I'm not a big person to like say that. Cause I think that that's mostly bullshit, but I think in this particular situation, I think maybe you need a guy like him in the room. I think there's certainly something to it. I, I don't think – I wouldn't go so far as to say it's mostly bullshit. I think it all, often gets uh, overblown. But, like, many things that get overblown, there's still a very real kernel of truth at, at the center of it. And, yeah, I think experience matters and having uh, leadership – leadership definitely matters. Um, I will just quickly say I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, if we bring Lavoie up, we should bring Gagne up with him so he has someone to pass to him. If we bring Lavoie up, I don't think he's going to the fourth line. He's not taking Adam Ernie's spot. He's taking uh, Fogel's spot. Um, we'll play him in the top six. He is he is a scoring forward. That is what we would bring him up, I would hope anyway. That is what we would bring him up to do. Um, if we bring Gagne up, I agree. I'd be surprised if they played Gagne in the top six. He would probably uh, be on the fourth line because it's you used interesting language there about um, what uh, can he keep up still. Even when he was at his best, Gagne was never fleet of foot. He had great hands and a good brain, but was never uh, had blinding speed. Um, so he, I think that's his big issue is if he, he can still keep up uh, at the NHL level. Um, and I'm not super confident that he can but uh he's he's good he's he's also doing everything you could reasonably hope for at the ahl so uh maybe they do you know maybe they maybe he can be a specialist which certainly is what he's been at different times in his career i don't think there's any room on the oilers for a power play specialist but maybe they try him at the right wing in the top six who knows um probably they don't but maybe they do all right well that's that's pretty much all i have to say about the Oilers. Um, I think my most controversial opinion is if they try to upgrade the goaltending, it's not Jack Campbell who gets moved it's Stuart Skinner, but um, the only team who would do that is one who feels that they're for sure out of the playoffs. And it's, it's too early to expect that to happen. Let's uh, let's go around the horn with NHL wide. What's the most interesting story? Um, what, what's kind of jumped out at you is all right. Well, that's something uh, Megan, we'll start with you. What's jumped out at you? What's what makes you say, Hey, that's something. Um, I think that one of the things that I found sort of interesting, uh, is all the talk with Connor Bedard and like, you know, him, uh, not having fast food and like all this kind of nonsense. Um, but he's just like, I mean, the Blackhawks aren't great. They're not a great team and that's why they ended up picking first overall, uh, and winning the lottery and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know. I think, uh, he's a bit of a, a bright spot. Sort of he's incredibly talented i think it sucks that he's in chicago um because i don't like chicago but uh yeah i don't know 
I just find that the talk about him is really interesting and sort of some of the comparisons, like early comparisons to like both uh, McDavid and Sidney Crosby and that kind of stuff. Also, something else, that, uh, speaking of Sidney Crosby, uh, why this didn't cross my mind first, for reasons that I'm not sure about, he's doing a lot of like interviewee stuff that's ending up on Instagram um, in a way that like he's normally very quiet. Like they talk to him about hockey stuff and then he just like, you know, uh, carries on and is a bit of a robot but he's like doing all this stuff where he's like you know I don't know what's going on there's he's, all these different interviews that I've seen lots of videos of on Instagram and on TikTok um, which in his whatever 17th year in the league he's finally like becoming a media personality and I think that's kind of fun too I've noticed that also he's actually um, <laughs> talking to people and seems to be enjoying the spotlight in a way that I've never noticed him doing before yeah, it's kind of nice. He's like relaxed into it a bit. And it's, I mean, and it's Sidney Cosby. And so uh, there was one, he did like some kind of trivia thing, whatever. And he kept, he wanted to keep playing until he actually won because he kept getting the questions wrong. And like, so he's still very competitive, um, you know, in that kind of stuff too. And I just thought that was kind of fun. All right. Um, yeah, I have watched a couple of uh, Blackhawks games just to see Bedard. He's got five points in eight games, which is, He's he's getting his chances though. I man, this I think he's uh, incredible. I really like him. Corey Perry's been fantastic. Um, he's really dialed the the clock back. He's uh, at thirty eight. He's leading the team in scoring, and yeah, you're sure noticing him out there. He looks great on their top unit power play. Uh, that hurts to say, but um, hopefully uh, Taylor Hall gets healthy, and I don't know the Blackhawks can at least be an interesting team to follow. Um, Avery, what's jumped out at you around the league? Uh, for me, it's been Detroit. I had the Red Detroit Red Wings being a team that would not really be much of anything in the Eastern Conference. And here they are, top three in a division, and they're getting a lot of great production so far from Alex DeBrincat. This is a team that I don't think many people saw them really doing anything really. And, you know, it's, it's still early, but they're easily one of the more impressive teams so far this year. It's been a fun start to see Detroit make some noise in the Eastern Conference. Oh, good golly. They're uh, leading the league in goals for. They've scored more goals than anyone else. So uh, that's wild. I will admit that that makes me question how sustainable uh, things are. Like, I think that they have some good players. Um, I'm trying to find their team shooting percentage, and I can't find it. But I will say their uh, best players are, they're probably going to come down to earth a little bit. But uh, yeah, definitely. You got to be, especially if like me, you spent the last few years um, at least sort of, if not quite passionately uh, defending, sort of defending the Iser plan. I think that he's been doing a better job than he gets broad credit for. Um, that said, I, this summer was the summer I was the most uh, lukewarm on. And then this is the one that seems to be launching them. I don't know if they'll to what degree they'll keep it rolling, but I agree that the Red Wings going five, three and one and leading the league in goals uh, scored. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, my top story is uh, very similar. Actually, it's how close the East in general is um, like the West. The worst team is the sharks and they're legitimately bad. And then amongst the disappointments, you have the Oilers, the flames, the crack and the Blackhawks. Um, I think that, well, three of those teams were playoff teams last, or sorry, the, the Flames weren't a playoff team last year. They were right at the border. They've been really bad. Um, I think the Flames and the Kraken might get better, but they might not. The Oilers also might get better. They might not. I expect the Blackhawks to get worse. But the East basically has no bad teams. 
like right at the bottom of the East, the Capitals, the Penguins, and the Sabres. Um, the Capitals are 500, and they've got the worst goal differential. But the the Penguins and the Sabres are three and five. That's not good, but it's not awful. They both had they've got goal differentials of minus two and minus four, which are half as bad as the Oilers for reference. Um, so you know, again, that's actually way less than half the Oilers. I'll put it this way. The crack in the flames in the Oilers are minus 11, minus 12, and minus 13. So that is clearly significantly worse than the Penguins minus two or the Sabres minus four. There's plenty of reason for optimism that the Sabres and the Penguins could turn it around. Um, they're just not that far out of it. The East is close. The East doesn't have any awful teams. There's no whipping boys in the East right now. Um, the Blue Jackets are the one team in the East that I was comfortable saying, like, oh, yeah, they're going to be bad. They're 500. They're three and three, three, three and two, I guess. Um, the Senators, a lot of people are saying, oh, they're about to get their GM fired because they're not doing well. They're four and four with a plus six goal differential. I think the Senators are still uh, very much in contention um, for that wild card spot. Uh, maybe better. Um, the Flyers are doing well. The Flyers are playing well. Um and even I, if I had to pick one team that I think is interesting, I'm going to pick the Senators just because they are kind of the Oilers better. Uh, they are not getting great goaltending, but their goaltending has been a lot better than the Oilers goaltending has been. They've got uh, 902 from their bad uh, UFA decision to sign um, Jonas Corposal along. And then their, their 1B Forsberg is being... Uh, Terrible. Campbell-esque at 873. But if you look past the goaltending, Stutzel's actually playing at a 90-point pace, which I don't think. Actually, he's playing at a 100-point pace, which a lot of people said, oh, that was his best year. He'll never get back there. He's getting back there. Tarasenko's better than a point a game. Kachuk, Chikrin, Giroux, Matthew Joseph, Jake Sanderson are all uh, – Ridley Gregg are all point-a-game players so far. Josh Norris is a point-a-game player coming back from the injury. They have not one but two different defensemen that are essentially playing at point-of-game place, and that's not counting Thomas Shabbat, who isn't scoring that much, but is obviously a very good defenseman. Um, they're an interesting team to follow. Uh, they all obviously just had a guy get suspended for gambling. You know what? Let's stop talking about this. Avery, there's one of the more interesting stories. What do you know about uh, what's-his-name getting suspended 41 games for gambling? Shane so Pinto. Not against NHL. He's not betting on NHL games. So why are they so upset? What did he do? Uh, it's The NHL is being very vague about this, which I don't like. The NHL refused to say exactly what Shane Pinto was gambling on. But he says on the NHL games, but they've not said what it was exactly. And I just hate the NHL being vague because if you don't come be transparent, other reporters will figure out what's happening. And now you're seeing other media members who are seeing what Pinto did. It sounds like he um, he played – it sounds like, from what I'm hearing, he played um, a FanDuel bet that got flagged because um, the NHL – every major sports league has people who monitor these accounts specifically just for seeing if there's a player wagering. So I guess whatever account he used set off the people inside FanDuel. That, oh, wait, that's, a, that's an NHL player. We need to let the league know about that. But I just find it weird, the, the vagueness about it and the NHL being all, we'll have no further comment about this. This case is closed with more information. Like, I don't, you shouldn't want people speculating in terms of what happened. You, you, need, you need to get ahead of the, the story more and 
say, hey, this is what happened, A, B, C, D. And like, I just don't like the vagueness about it, really, uh, Stephen. Yeah, uh, it's tough, especially if he apparently wasn't. It, it's You have to find yourself asking, why is it a problem if he did something legal that wasn't betting on hockey? That's certainly what I'm wondering, unless he was betting on, like, which crocodile would reach the baby first. Uh, I can see that being <laughs> But uh, if he was just betting on like other sports, I'm not immediately sure why that's a problem, considering it's illegal. It would be different if it wasn't legal, but it is. Uh, and advertise. Like the Senators have a gambling site on their helmet, for crying out loud. Um, so I'm quite curious. Also, I just can't help but say those poor Senators, man, they can't catch a break. One of their one promising young player um, gets suspended for 41 games they can't sign him anyway but hypothetically had they found a way um another fairly promising young player like obviously this is very deserved but it's not necessarily the organization's fault it appears to be uh, out of hockey for criminal reasons um yeah that's tough and then worst worst of all there are rumors that they might be hiring peter Chirelli as their gm uh just oof, that's that's about the worst thing that could happen to any franchise in my experience I'm just, I found a goal sport scored above expected chart as of today. And the Oilers are 24th out of the 32 league, team league, uh, have scored eight less goals than you would have expected considering the chances they're generating. So either they can't finish or they're getting goalied. I expect that will normalize. Um, considering some of the finishers on the team, it might normalize quite dramatically. Uh, so I don't think the Oilers are in quite as bad of shape. As it looks like, but I don't think they're a cup contender as long as the goaltending looks the way that it does. Maybe one of those guys puts it together, but I expect we make a dramatic move in January. Um, finally, I think the the last NHL thing that I have to mention is it's really too bad about Adam Johnson. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, they're in the British Hockey League, former NHLer Adam Johnson. Um, who's a young man, I believe is in his late 20s, um, just caught a skate blade to the throat and died. Um, I'm not sure if he died on the ice or if he died just off the ice, but either way, he he passed. Uh, so that is too bad. Um, it's not really much more to say. I've heard some people say that this means uh, the NHL should switch to mandatory throat guards. Um, I don't immediately have a passionate opinion either way on that one. Uh, Megan, would you like to make any closing remarks on that subject? I, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know if right now you, if, if you switch, make it mandatory, but I do think that like, it's been, I mean, everyone, I maybe not everyone, but like, obviously we look at like, you can see the video of like the Clint Miller Chuck, which obviously he didn't die. So like there's, you know, it's, it's less morbid maybe to look at that or Richard Zednick. Uh, getting the skate in the throat or whatever. And that one was just like an absolute freak accident. I haven't seen video of what happened last night. I don't want to see it. I It's not all that important to me. But I do think that like you're basically wearing shoes with knives on the ice and maybe uh, there should be mandatory protection for the throat. Because I know you can get stuff and for wrists and stuff as well. Um, just because like it's not like someone's necessarily going to maliciously try and like slice your throat open. But uh, it would be probably not a bad idea to have that protection just in case, right? Because it's one of those things that you can't you can't predict that that's going to happen. Um, but it seems kind of to me a bit of a no brainer to figure out a way. Like, well, we've got equipment that can mitigate the risk, so why don't we put that in place? Yeah. Well, uh, that that sums up my NHL thoughts uh, this fortnight. Um, 
Any closing remarks from either of you? Uh, the Her- there's a Heritage Classic being played today, and oh, it's okay. very funny. It's very funny to me that it is uh, going to be a toilet bowl. <laughs> Allow me to make a bold prediction. Obviously, the Oilers uh, lost Connor uh, McDavid for a couple of weeks, and it did not go great. Although I don't think again the problem was the goaltending, <laughs> but um, it didn't go great. But I didn't think they were a lost team without him. Uh, but he's coming back tonight. I think uh, and. They have the advantage of they're playing the Flames. One team has looked as bad as they have and probably have less reasons for optimism. And their goaltending is even more expensive than ours and has been uh, as bad. Not worse, but as bad. I think uh, the Oilers are going to torch the Flames tonight um, on international television, and people are going to call it the turning point of the season. That is my bold, bold prediction. McDavid in particular is going to just skate miles unless the toilet bowl goes on to submarine the whole game and it's just a bunch of uh chip and chase random garbage which is always possible is this is life on earth and specifically we follow the nhl so uh terrible league for terrible people um yeah that's it megan do you have any highly personal questions queued up i do have one actually um so this is something that i saw on instagram and it cracked me up when i thought about it and i asked a couple of my friends and then their answers did not disappoint uh so if you walked out somewhere and you saw me saw me arguing with somebody on the street. What would you automatically assume we were arguing about? If I saw a couple arguing on the street, yeah, I would. I would assume I can answer this one. I'll go first. I would assume uh, that was nothing. It was some trivial banality. Like he said, "Where do you want to eat?" and she said, "Wherever." And then he said, "Okay, how about uh, Quiznos?" and she said, "No." And he she he said, "Okay, how about?" Sorrentino's and she said no and then he said how about Red Lobster and she's like no not that one and then he said all right you choose and she said no I'm fine with wherever and then this just kept bouncing back and forth off each other until finally they are now yelling at each other in the street and she's like you never do the dishes and he's like I did the dishes yesterday and she said yeah but other than that you never do the dishes and then uh, this uh, etc etc <laughs> and then it turns into Somebody is going home early to pack up all of their things and move out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. In my empty home by myself at any time that I want. Good for good riddance. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's probably fair. Trivial banalities that just get uh, exploded. That's fair. Avery? Uh, if I saw it on the street, you know, actually, uh, I would, I, my mind, it might sound terrible, but it would go straight to someone got caught cheating. And that is why there is a lot of argument, which I did see one time in real life in Ottawa at a restaurant. A dude was caught cheating. I was trying to justify um, what happened. And his girlfriend was not having it. And they argued in the bagel shop for a good hour and a half over this. Yes, I would. My thought would be someone got caught cheating. And that's why we're now seeing a bunch of yelling. I love trying to get did you happen to catch any of his arguments uh from what i recall they were all very bad arguments of him trying to say it wasn't what it looked like she means nothing to me and the girlfriend was not having any of it at all i i i would have i love anytime anyone tries to justify it not say it wasn't me not pull out the shaggy defense but they're like listen let me explain why the infidelity is not a big deal or is maybe even a good thing um yeah, that would be a fantastic argument to catch in public. I'm jealous of you. Megan, what's your it answer? Was, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Avery. I was going to say, it happened. It happened at like 1230 at night. 
Ah, that rules. That's why you yeah, hang that's... out in Donair shops at 12. Was you, sorry, did you say Donair or bagel? A bagel shop. Kettleman's Bagels in Ottawa. There's an all-night bagel place? Yes, there is. 24-7. It's, uh, it's, uh, Ottawa, it's an odd, known Ottawa spot, Kettleman's. It's like, their, it's like their spot for bagels in Ottawa. Yeah, Edmonton does not have anything like that, and we absolutely should, because then we could all watch Late Night Breakups. You know, it'd be fun. Um, I often, I think two things. It kind of depends. It depends if there's kids around or not. So sometimes you see, you know, walk out and you see, like, a couple yelling at each other. And if there are children around or, like, it's very clear someone's holding a diaper bag or whatever, it's definitely something about the kids. Whatever it happens to be. And my my automatic assumption, and I realize that there's, like, a real bias here, is that the man in the argument fucked up. And his wife is just like barely holding it together. Um, that is the assumption that I make like every single time. If there aren't any children around, then it's something either like Steve says that is like very, very just like banal. Like, yeah, where do you want to eat? Or, hey, did you remember to feed the dog? Or like whatever. Um, or it's something like terribly bad. My favorite, though, is when they're whisper yelling at each other. So everyone can see that everyone's very angry, but you can't hear it. That's my favorite kind of argument because then I can just invent a backstory. Yeah, that is a good one also. I'll just comment quickly on your assumption that's probably uh, the dad's mistake. This reminds me of something one of my good friends just said in relation to his marriage. He was like, you know what uh, doesn't seem fair? If I make a mistake, my wife yells at me, uh, and then I apologize. Or if he said, I make a mistake, my wife yells at me, I apologize. She makes a mistake, I yell at her, and then I have to apologize. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem right. And it doesn't seem right, but that's the way that it is. That is the way. There's just some ways that it is that it is the way that it is. I think um, this is like a whole different podcast uh, subject. But I think one of the reasons uh, that makes this an interesting time to be alive is for a long time, society had this, uh, we had our these gender norms. Um, which obviously had uh, issues with them. And then, like, I don't know, over the last few decades, but it really concentrated, I'd say, in, like, the late 90s. People were like, let's get rid of them. Let's just say people are people and we're all the same. And I think now we're kind of coming to grips with, ah, we might not be, though. (laughs) There should be some different standards in some areas, but we're trying to figure out which ones are the toxic different standards and which ones are the ones that just make sense. And uh, it's... It's fun to watch. I don't maybe it shouldn't be fun, but it's fun to to watch those things happen. Well, to keep it like sports adjacent, since this is a sports podcast, um, Travis Kelsey and his brother have a podcast called New Heights. And uh not that long ago there was the premiere of the documentary, the Kelsey documentary on Amazon. And uh so they're doing their thing or whatever, and Travis says, Jason is like, Yeah, it's, it looked like you, you know, you turned up on the green carpet in shorts. And he was like, Yeah, Kylie, his wife. Uh, was supposed to bring jeans for me. She yep. was running late. And then Travis Kelsey immediately was like, why didn't you bring your own jeans, dummy? <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, well, it was a football, and I wore shorts to football, and Kylie was going to bring them. And he's like, why didn't Jason bring jeans for Jason? And then it clicks with him, and he realizes, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to look good no matter what I say. He was like, nope, nope. And then uh, they just kind of talked a little bit about how all of the things that his wife had to do in order to get the family ready and be there and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and Jason was like, yep, should have brought jeans for Jason. Uh, and it was just a very interesting way of like calling out that like, you know, that sort of like um, weaponized incompetence that sort of is a thing that happens in these arguments that I would assume where the man had uh, fucked up. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. There's a little sports adjacent 
gender role stuff for you. This has nothing to do with sports, but I think it'll be interesting for the listeners. I've always resented the term weaponized incompetence because I am legitimately that incompetent. I'm not pretending <laughs> to be incompetent to try and push girls. You don't think I wish I knew where my keys were? I'm not doing it as some way, losing all my stuff as some way to get to you. I am this incompetent. It's my incompetence is legitimate. I have legitimate incompetence, and I resent uh, the implication that it's anything other than my actual stupidity. Um, your boy Crosby still hates Giroux. Just while we're recording, uh, he he just cross-checked Claude Giroux into a linesman and got a penalty for him. And uh, they're, they're chirping at each other quite a bit, apparently. Um, the one still hasn't forgiven the other for breaking his wrist at a face-off. Crosby's like Mr. Class unless he's playing Claude, Claude Giroux. Then he turns into Matt Kachuk. It's kind of awesome. Um, yeah, and in my mind, Sidney Crosby can do, do no wrong, so it's all good. There you go. Speaking of double standards, generational booty buys you some uh, moral gray zones. Have you seen that ass? Come on, man. All right. And with that, we <laughs> say good night. Uh, thank you for listening. God bless each and every one of you. We love you. <laughs>